Welcome to another edition of the Posecast. Uh, this week, we'll be joined by a special three-time champion as well as our host. However, before we get started with that, got to remind everybody to please download the app, basketballnews.com, as well as download, subscribe, like, and listen to our podcast on all your favorite platforms. Now that that's out the way, we're going to go ahead and get it started. We have a three-time champion with the Toronto Raptors, Cleveland Cavaliers, and also my favorite team, Los Angeles Lakers. Um, he is one of the best player development coaches of all time, and he took, he's taking a pleasure to join us today. Uh, welcome to the show, Phil Henry. Phil, how's everything going? Man, all is well. You know, it's an uh, extreme blessing to be on this show with you, with you cats, especially my my man Pose. Man, we go we go way Phil, back. Phil. <laughs> so now, nah, man, all, all is good, man. Just just good, you know, man. you know, I appreciate it, man. I know I know you're busy and all, so I appreciate you taking the time out to join it, but. You know I had to get my man on, so I appreciate uh, that's it. All, that's all love, Pose. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate the invite to be a part of that Pose cast. All right, all right. So, hey, right off the rip, I just want to know, where did your love of the game of basketball start? Man, Pete, that was uh, – I mean, it started early. I, I, have five, I got five older brothers, and I'm the youngest of six. So my brothers, man, they all played basketball when I was growing up. And so I, I can remember back to about age five or six where I, I really wanted to – I wanted to be like them. And so you know, they would take me to the playground every now and again. And that's all I wanted to do was emulate what they were doing. And, um, you know, as I grew, basketball just kind of really just – that was it for me. I didn't want to do anything else. All I wanted to do was play basketball. So you you you, you grew up in, in the Bay. You know what I'm saying? So you, you hear about that. all these hoopers in the Bay. You know what I'm saying? You hear the J-Kids. You hear the GPs. You hear Dane now. You also hear, you know, you had the J.R. Riders. How yeah. was that influence you growing up, you know what I'm saying, playing a game? <clears throat> and did you ever, you know, come across, you know, the younger – now, of course, probably not Dane, but more so those guys like the GP and the J-Kids, you know what I'm saying, back, you know, growing up in, in the Bay? Yeah, you know, that was um, – like in high school, I mean, J-Kid was obviously a couple years younger than me. But he was like, J. Kidd was the man. You know, he was one of the best. He was one of the best high school players in the country. You know, B. Shaw, uh, Gary Payton, um, you know, Greg Foster, all these dudes, man, they were before my time. But when I was a kid, I mean, even though they were from the Bay, when I was a kid, and I was a 76ers fan, which is kind of, you know, crazy. I was mm. born, and raised, born and raised in Oakland, but, man, I grew up watching – watching uh, basketball on Sundays, well, all I wanted to see was Dr. J. That was like, that was who I wanted to watch. You know, man, turn the TV on, six o'clock in the morning, whatever, Dr. J on the tube. So that's who I really, I really grew up watching, you know, Dr. J. And then I had the opportunity to run, to watch that whole run TMC with Chris Mullen, with uh, Chris Mullen, Mitch Richmond, and, uh, and Tim Hardaway. That was, that was when I really, Started falling in love with the game, watching watching them dudes in the Bay, man. Now, Phil, how do you go from being in the Bay Area to going to college in Hawaii? How did that all come about? <laughs> man, that's a long, that's a crazy ass story, man. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, I was actually meant to go to Cal Berkeley and play uh, next to Jay Kidd and Lamont Murray and some of the other guys there, and it was crazy. Went to junior college for a year. And one of my one of my good friends in junior college, he didn't have a scholarship, and Hawaii was recruiting me. So you know, back then, 
Everyone, t- everybody want to take their trip. Uh, forget, I'm that just going to take my. Hey, 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 at a school like 10 minutes from mine, he didn't have a scholarship. So I was like, I thought I was being slick. I wanted to throw Hawaii off my tail and say, hey, if you guys sign my boy, I'll come. And so mm. Hawaii back then was like, listen, if you don't commit to us, you can't take the visit. So yep. My, yep. My, my way out of committing was to take the visit <laughs> and then be like, hey, y'all, wanna, y'all want me to come? You sign my boy, I'm coming. I thought they was going to be like, nah. We, we're not going to do that. Man, they asked me to send some video of my boy. He sent the video. They signed him first. That's how bad Kool-Aid. it was. What's his name? <laughs> What's his name? Yeah. What's his name? Yeah. No, no, don't get me wrong. He can hoop. Don't get me wrong. He can, he can hoop. His name is Wendell Owens. Boy, was nice. Point guard. But I didn't think they were going to sign him, right? It was just I didn't know what the recruiting picture looked like. Right. Bruh. They signed that man, and I had every intention of going to Cal Berkeley. So they signed him, and I was like, nah. And I was like, uh-uh, I'm not going. My father, <laughs> being the man that he was, love Pops, rest in peace, old school. When he got wind of it, the coach called him and was like, yeah, his son's not returning her calls. You know, he promised he would sign here. My dad made me go. He was like, you gave them people your word, you're going to sign that scholarship. And that was probably – all fun and jokes. That was one of the biggest lessons I ever learned in my life in, in terms of what he made me do. He made me man up and keep my word. I was pissed, but but it, that was a huge it was a huge lesson for me, man. And that's how I ended up going to Hawaii. <laughs> now, what was the culture shock like? You go from the Bay to going to Hawaii. Like, what's that looking like? Because that's two totally different places. I mean, at that point, by that time, I grew up in Oakland, right? And my parents moved me out of Oakland when I was 13. So we moved out to the suburbs, this area called Union City, which which ended up being predominantly Filipino community. So I moved from Oakland, where it was nothing but blacks and Mexicans, out to Union City, which was Filipinos, you know, some white white you know, white families. It was more, it was more diverse. So by the time I got to Hawaii, man, I was I was good, you know. Being on an island, that little people have island fever. But for me, I just like the warm weather. So I was, I was right at home on that island, man. So you go to Hawaii, you, you do your thing, you leave that school. Now your journey, as far as you get to where you are right now, you know, say the NBA, lengthy career here as a, you know, as an assistant coach and also as a player development coach. But your journey wasn't, you know, what I'm saying just a smooth transition. Tell us about your journey and how you how you got it to this level. Yeah, Pose, not all of us was, you know, was a high flyer at Xavier, you know, big time, <laughs> big time draft pick, all that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, you know, Pete, my man, my, my journey was, you know, I left school early thinking that um, you know, thinking that I was gonna get drafted, which was the biggest mistake, probably one of the biggest mistakes of my life in hindsight. Um, and the the year I left school, there was an NBA lockout, so I had no mm. opportunities. I had no opportunities to get in any any NBA workouts, and the lockout ended. And I was just like, man, I I don't know what I'm gonna do. Am I am I even good enough to even play in the NBA? It was that was like the question for me. 
So the lockout ended, and the Warriors had what they had. You know, they had like a little free agent camp, and they invited like 20, 20 local guys to come to this camp to where they can kind of fill out their roster for training camp. You know what that's like, because as a coach, you know what it's like when guys are getting the opportunity. So they picked two players from that camp. I went in there and was like, yo, I'm just going to go in here. I'm going to lay it down. I'm, I'm going to be the hardest working dude in the gym. And I was one of the two guys they selected. It was me and John Barry. They selected mm-hmm. us to, to come to training camp. And I went to training camp and you know, did my thing there. And I was able to you know, become part of that roster for a short period of time. Uh, you know, I had a had a very, very small career in the NBA. And I played with the Warriors for a little bit. I played with the Portland Trailblazers for a little bit. And then I went to Europe. And I, went, I left and went to Europe for eight years and spent most of my time in, in Europe and Australia and Israel, Italy, France, Germany, England. I was all over the place. And um, I retired, and I had no thoughts and ideas of becoming a coach. That was that was not what I was thinking about. But I did want to. What I did want to get into the training business and train athletes and and help athletes become, you know, just better players. But even when I started that, that was back in. I kind of started doing a little bit of it '99, but I re- I really started the business in 2003 when I retired. And man, I couldn't have envisioned that that 13 year period of me running that business leading up to me being an NBA coach. I couldn't I couldn't have envisioned it ended up where it is now p it's crazy that the journey that has taken me on right so playing so playing over there like i mean you were very successful over there as well you know as a player and of course you had you know the the itch the opportunity to play for your home team and also you know play in portland as well you know what i'm saying so was that a downer for you was it always to give back or you know for the most part you took advantage of the opportunity and like I tell people, I say, you know, they pay over there as well. You, you can save your money. You can get money as well. Right. And so you was like almost like, you know what I'm saying, like for the NBA, I'm cool over here. That was your lane. Reddit, the NBA is always the, the big show. How was, how was that mindset for you over there and what, what got you through it? Man, it was tough at first, folks, because, you know, after, um, you know, the first time I got cut, you know, when the Warriors waved me through part of the season, I mean, you know, that's, we go through high school, you know, you're usually the best player on your team, whatever your college is. I had never had an experience of being cut or waived. So for me, you know, even though I wasn't drafted, that was like, I went through a, like a two week phase of depression. It's like, I didn't know what, you know, cause I didn't really know anything outside of the NBA. Like, man, you know, I started the season with the Warriors and, you know, you, you know, you think, you think when you make the team, that's it. But a lot of people don't understand. You made the team, but the hardest thing is to stay in the league, right. you know, for for right. friends, guys. You know, that's really hard. You know, if you're not a lottery pick, if you're not one of those guys, you might make it. But the hard thing is to stay in. And so where the Warriors waved me. And so I went to the CBA. I went down to Omaha and I played in the CBA. And it took me about a week to wake wake up and realize that, man, there's some hungry dudes in the CBA and this ain't no, it's not, you know, these dudes down here trying to hoop. They trying to make money and make career just like you are. And I think the CBA was one of the best things that happened for me. It prepared me for Europe. And I remember when I, when I decided to go to Europe, the first country I played in was France. I wasn't really prepared to live in another country. I had never lived outside the United States. And I wasn't really, like you said, Pose, the money that they make over there is really good money. The level of basketball in Europe is a really high level. And, you know, 
I was on this thing at first, like, man, I should be in the NBA. You know, I'm, I was mad and pissed and mad at the world, you know, and, and if I, it almost messed me up because I was so focused on being in the NBA that I couldn't really see what was in front of me. And uh, when I got to France, luckily enough, I had a couple of veteran guys that had played in Europe for many years and they, you know, they were like, young fella, you know, we've been over here 15 years. You know, we make good money. Our families are taken care of. And, and hey, man, you can make a great career over here. And when I got to Europe and I really saw the level of basketball and then I saw how much money, you know, at, that you can make in terms of, hey, man, the NBA is not everything. I actually made more money in Europe than I did, than I did in the NBA, um, you know, as being a guy that's on the bubble. Man, Europe was, Europe was the best thing to happen to me. You know, once I got my mind to it, you know, it, it cultured me. You know, it taught me a lot about different cultures, about different people. You know, it, it also helped me understand just how fortunate we are living in the States with a lot of the things that we have uh, at our fingertips back then. So it was that was a great learning experience for me just in, in general. Now, Phil, is there any uh, crazy stories? I mean, you're in Europe for a long time. We always hear about way different stories where people don't get paid right. Minutes get funny, uh, fights. Uh, you got to have calling cards. Uh, again, kind of any crazy Euro stories you can uh, share with us? Man, they're all all them stories are real. Like I was one. <laughs> I will say this: I was very blessed. My agent did a really good job because you hear all these horror stories about people that go to Europe, they play, and they don't get paid. Right, brother, cats don't get paid for two months, three months, and you just over there playing for free. I, I never had a situation like that when I was in Europe. I was blessed to be in some some really strong situations. But like I remember my first team. You know, when you're coming in as an American, you know, people we don't really suppose you can speak to this. As an American player in the NBA, when guys from Europe came over, right, there was always like this thing like, yeah, oh, man, who, who is this? You know, who is this? Yep. Man, we bought this. Yep. So, so coming to the NBA, you know, guys from Europe that come to the NBA, they, they get treated different. And a lot of times when you're an American player and you go to another country, it's the same thing, right? The talent level may not be the same, but I remember when I first got to France, I came in and, you know, there was a local kid who had been starting on this team, you know, for a couple of years. And here I come, I'm coming in to take his position. And they, they instantly put me in the starting lineup. And so, man, I just remember this dude used to foul me every day in practice. Like, like he, <laughs> he, he used to, he used to try to fuck me up, Paul, in practice. So one day you I was like, come on, yo, yeah, all right. Well, I was like, all right, all right, nigga, I'm, I'm going to show you all. Okay. Keep following me like that. And I broke that man's nose in practice oh, one day. Just, just, and, and it wasn't the right thing to do. I was so <laughs> mad. But he was I mean, he was fucking me up, dog, like in practice. Right. And the coach, the coach, coach wasn't calling no fouls. He, nah, nah, play on. But right. the craziest thing I remember, the fans. The mm. fans in Europe, they – listen, the fans in Europe don't play. They are the most loyal fans to their city to their team. Man, I remember going on the road in Belgium. People were throwing coins at us. They would spit at us. Damn. I remember I remember playing in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, let, they're letting off smoke bombs in the middle of the game. I, bro, I, I mean, I'm talking wow. about smoke bombs, like real smoke bombs. I remember going in at halftime. One of my teammates would sit in his chair, cross his legs and spark up a cigarette while the coach talking at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, yo, come on, man. Hey, bro, on, I, kid, man. I kid you wow. not, Paul. Spark up a cigarette at halftime. We in the locker room, and I'm looking around like, what are we doing? What, what's really what's going on? But but even in that, you can go into certain arenas and because smoking, you know, people in, in, in Europe, people smoke. You can go into certain arenas and look up to the top of the arena, and it's nothing but a bowl of smoke. Like everybody in the arena smoking. It's just, you're like, bro, what are we doing here, man? Man, that ain't like, safe, man. They don't care about <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Hey, man, you're, look, people think, I go on a year, I'm going to go, man, people think it's a piece of cake. And it's tough playing over there. Different environment, different language, different food. And then, you know, travel. You know, they don't travel like now. They, you know, you if you get on like a high level Euroleague team, they they charter planes and all that stuff. But man, it was it was it was a uh, it was a learning experience, man. It, it definitely tested your mentals for real. Now, also, you played the CBA as well. You also have experience with coaching G League and seeing those guys come up. What's the difference? Because a lot of our listeners don't really know about the CBA. What's the difference between the two? If there if there is a difference. Yeah, I'm gonna hurt some of these young fellas' feelings a little bit, man. The CBA was a that was a thug league for real. I'm talking about, and when I say thug league, I mean it was tough. It was a tough ass league in the sense that I was 23. I'm going down there. These are grown men playing in the CBA. These right. dudes got families. These dudes, you know, these dudes are like in their 30s. They're still trying to hang on to their basketball careers, but they can play. And then there's there's NBA guys like Mario, the Mario Ellis, the Vincent Askews. Oh, you know who those dudes are? You know, them type of dudes of the world that that played in the CBA for a long time. It was a tough, tough league. And it wasn't it wasn't uh, a direct affiliation of the NBA, even though it was. It, it, it's not like the G League where the NBA teams, the farm system, the CBA was independently owned by different owners. And, you know, we were in these small towns. I was in Omaha, Nebraska. I was in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, you know, it was it was tough conditions. You know, you travel. You're traveling on buses. Just like the G League travel is not great. But the league, man, it was tough. It was some tough players. It was a lot of NBA players that were playing the CBA. And it's very similar to the G League, but I just think – the the style style of basketball and the brand of basketball back then was different. It was it was totally different than what it is now. So towards the you know tell end of your your playing your playing days, um, did you like you you sort of said early you sort of knew you want to get on the, the player development side or whatever. So I seen a little footage of you. We've been playing you know pick up you know said <laughs> in Cleveland and things like that. You know what I'm saying? We've been in Chicago playing in their in they, uh, <laughs> hey. 150, the one, the hey. infamous 150 rep post. I had never done the 151. Post put me on, man. That was, that was one of the best runs I've ever had. And, and you left with the nickname, too. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Drew. So that's, so, you know what I'm saying? That's doing that. So, I mean, crazy handles. And you still got crazy handles now. Your jump shot. And you had hot suit. So how, how did that all... Like you, you put that together, and like you know, I can help you know the next person, the next young man develop those skills. Like, how did that actually go? Like, you know, everybody, your time's gonna come when basketball stops. So, did yeah. you start transitioning in? Like, okay, this is this is what I'm doing, and you start perfecting your craft after basketball. You know what, Pete? I think it started for me 
towards the end of my career, right? As a young, as a young player, man, I was one of them dudes that just thought I could just dunk on everybody or try to dunk everything, flying. Right. Through. You know, I was rec- I was reckless, and right. so, you know, I got to the point at the end of my career where I didn't really have any injuries, but you know, as we get older, our bodies start telling us different things. You slow down, mm-hmm. and so what I learned was. You know, even at the end of my career, I still was pretty quick, but obviously I wasn't as quick as I was a few years ago. So how do I continue to be efficient and effective? Mm-hmm. So even even myself, I mean, I always watch, I always watch Grant Hill. You know, I always watch MJ. You know, I watch guys like Walter Davis and people don't really even know who that is. You know, I used to watch these dudes, man, and and I wanted to emulate large parts of their game to be as complete a player as I could be. So as I got older. Uh, I really started focusing on my shooting, right, and not and understanding that I'm, I'm not gonna always be able to get to the rim. I got to get better with shooting threes and 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 getting better shooting the ball off the dribble uh, and pull up. So I spent a lot of time. I had to get better, learn how to post up. You know, I want to post up smaller guards as a point guard. So the later part of my career, I really started working on those things my own, just by watching guys and emulating what MJ was doing or emulating what Grant Hill was doing. And then when I got into the, the development side of things, you know, pose as, as players, sometimes we get put in boxes, right? Mm-hmm. A coach might say, hey, this is what you do and you don't do anything else. And I've always, I've always been the type of coach where, man, you want to help your players, get, you know, improve their game in totality. Now, you know, not every player can do everything, but you always want to help players try to improve on their skill set as much as possible. And that was my mindset. Uh, going into the, the player development business, I wanted to help players become complete or as complete as they possibly could as a player to work on all the different areas of the game. And because that's how I tried to play. You know, I tried to play both sides of the ball, just like you, be, you know, and, and understand that being able to be a good defender is one thing, but being able to be a complete offensive player as much as possible is another thing, you know, from the footwork to the ball handling to the shooting and not just relying on your athletic ability. So, you know, I get to Cleveland, you know, you already been in the, you know, in the league for a minute and, you know, I get to Cleveland and you there as well. And hey, so hold we up, before nice- you say that, Pose, Pose trying to give me the cold shoulder too. I'm gonna throw, hey, I'm gonna throw him under the bus real quick. <laughs> hey, hey, hey yeah, on. I'm gonna throw him under the bus real quick, man. Listen, Pose hey, that's what everybody saw. Listen, you are like, I, I thought you was probably setting me up. You know what I'm saying? I said, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Pose thought I was the government. I saw Pose. In the, we saw I said, Pose, man, you, you with the crew now. We was in Vegas. I said, man, let's get the dinner, man. Let's go out tonight. Pose looked at me. Yeah, all right, all right. Hey, I didn't care for Pose. Pose. <laughs> Pose. I couldn't afford to do it, Philly. I couldn't afford to do it, man. Come on. I had to be like, P, man, we good money, dog. We, we, we good. We good over here. We good on this side, bro. But anyway, yeah. go ahead, P. <laughs> yeah, nah, you took me on your way, but I, I had to fill that out first, man. I mean, you hear the story. That's, that's the setup right there. You want to kick it, party, do anything. Next thing you know, you ain't got no job. So, shit. I'm like, nah, I don't know. I don't feel okay, P. All the way messed up. Nah, let let me get my feet wet. Let me see what's going on. Then let me see how you act. You know what I'm saying? But everything been everything been 100 though. I I appreciate it though. I appreciate it. It's all love, dog. So we so we get to Cleveland, and um, 
You know, we was blessed to have the team that we had. You know what I'm saying? LeBron James, Kevin Love, and Kyrie. You know what I'm saying? So now you're on your assistant coach. You also player development as well. With Kyrie, and I know you have a good relationship with Kyrie, how did you help him and his game take off? Like, I'm, I'm a big Kyrie fan. He's talented. I like how he shoots the trade ball, his mid-range game, and how he finishes at the basket, right hand, left hand, whatever it is. But I'm a big Kyrie fan. But how did you go about helping him, you know what I'm saying, make that next, you know, uh, jump from the player that he was just in Cleveland where he was on a losing team, but he was still getting his numbers. So how did you, how did you help him become that better player? Man, Pete, you remember that first year that I got to Cleveland. I remember you were, I think you were, you were coaching with our, with our, with the Canton, right? Yep. And that was, um, it was a challenge in itself because Kai, man, as you said, unbelievable talent. I mean, that dude is the most, probably the most naturally gifted dude I've ever <laughs> been around. P, you've been, you, you've been with him. You've been to the gym and you play ones with Kai on a daily basis. So really for me, you know, when Mike Brown hired me, it was more about, hey, Phil, we want you to really come here and mentor this, this kid and help him as best you can. And and the, the draw was you know, I just left L.A. with Kobe. I was with, with Kobe and, and the Lakers. Kyrie really respected Kobe. Kobe was a – he was a big fan of Kyrie. And Kobe played a huge part in helping, helping you know, from a pure standpoint of, of getting him to, to understand what the mindset needs to be. And when I got to Cleveland, I, you know, I asked Kobe, look, if you, if you don't mind mentoring this kid and, and, and helping, it would be, it would be tremendous, man. He's, he's tremendously gifted. And the challenge for me was to help Kyrie just understand how important the work was. Look, man, you are supremely, like, Pose, you know, you built your career on being the hardest working dude on your team, you know. So helping Kyrie to understand, Kai, if you're willing to put in the work and craft and really focus on, you know, some finite things to help you with your ball handling, help you with your footwork, help you with your balance, man, you're going you're gonna to take your game to a whole nother area that you don't even think is possible. And once he, once he bought into that post, it was easy. It was easy because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything that I was influencing. It was really just that he, he bought in, bought into getting the work in. And, you know, right. Pete, that's, that's one of the hardest battles, right? Just getting right. guys to understand that, if you put the work in, man, you have a chance, especially with a skill set like that. If you're willing to work, then it's it's over. And right. he, he bought into that, man, and understanding that, Kai, do you just want to be a good player on a losing team? Mm-hmm. Or do you do you want to to really prove to people that you can be one of the best point guards in the game and play at a high level and help your team win? And then, you know, obviously, Bron coming back to Cleveland was a big, big caveat to that. But before, I think before Braun came, Kyrie had set himself on that path to understand what it meant to work, to, to, you know, do a better job of taking care of his body, you know, to try to change his diet a little bit and just commit himself, commit himself to the game on a full-time basis. Like, I remember you talking about being a natural. Like, I remember, you know, I'll, I'll be helping, helping y'all out. And the stuff he is doing, you would get so mad <laughs> a good man because he was doing he would just do it so easy and then he'd just he'd, he'd look at you with that little smirk little smile like this is all you want me to do and he was like you had to turn it up like you had to turn it up on him Philly like yo, like, yo. you be doing this stuff too easy like 
And, wow. and you said he like, yo, I really got to challenge him. And that's like from the, from ball handling drills to the finishes and stuff like that. Like people don't understand like the stuff that they're seeing in the games. Like he really like he does it naturally, but he actually works on a lot of this stuff. And I just like you helped him do it. Like I seen you, yo. The awkward layups off the same leg, you know, same leg, same hand type stuff, whatever. Like he really works on, it and he put time. And once once you start to challenge, you know, what I'm saying Kyrie with those drills and stuff, those workouts, like I think that trust even got greater for him as well. And then yeah. on the middle side, somebody to talk to and help him, you know, what I'm saying like understand the game, you know, what yeah. I'm saying. So I I witnessed that. So man, get your kudos, man. You I got kudos with that man. Nah, man, sure. you know, pose. That was a village, man. We we all. We all had to type in with Kyrie and 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 the other guys that we had. I mean, you you saw that process, man. Kyrie was a he was a willing student, you know, and I think he respected he respected the work ethic that we brought, right? And and mm-hmm. the knowledge that 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 you were able to share, I was able to share the knowledge that Bron shared with him, that T. Lou, you know, every Drew, our coaching staff was, you know, a bunch of guys that had a wealth of knowledge, and some of the guys he played with, you know, I think. That's a combination, man. <clears throat> it was a big combination of him buying in and being willing to grow on his own as well. Now, I, I can't go – we can't talk about the Cavs without talking about the 3-1 comeback. Like, we, we cannot. There's no way we can address that team and the history y'all made. It's unique for you, though, Phil, because you're coming back to Oakland, coming down 3-1. So you got the family. You got friends. What was that experience coming back for game five? and also come back for game seven. What was the mindset and the thoughts? Because it's different for you because you're the only one from there that's coming back for these games. Well, there's a phrase, man, that was adapted in Cleveland that was uh, bestowed upon us by the great James Posey. Stay with it. Stay with it. Stay <laughs> with it. Hey, listen. <laughs> listen. Pose. Pose used to – that was a mindset. That whole thing right there was the mindset. We gotta stay with it, and I think you know Pose being from Cleveland. There's a lot of storylines that go along with that. You know, Pose is from Cleveland. I'm from the Bay. Uh, Bron's from Cleveland. You know, so when we got down three one, I remember specifically the locker room was calm. We were, we went back in the locker room. I remember it was calm. Cats wasn't in there. Nobody was frantic. And T. Lou plainly said, and I, you know, I think Bron seconded, hey, if anybody don't believe that we can't win this game, this game five, do not get on the plane. Yep. Those, yep. those were the exact words. Yep. Y'all don't believe that we go in there to handle our business, don't get on the plane. Yep. And I think that we just kind of took that that uh, that one game, one game at a time mentality because we really had to. There was nothing else to think about except for one game. Right. The next game is the most important game, and that's it. And I really felt like, man, we all – there was not a doubt in my mind, not to say we could make a win seven, but there was not a doubt in my mind that we couldn't go to Oakland and win game five. That's where, that's where it started. And I think it was just a one-game approach. And for me, yeah, man, you know, my family, everybody from the Bay was talking shit and and you know, I, I I hated that. You asked Pose, man. I black I, I blacked out one game. <laughs> I bet Pose, you could ask Pose. Pose is one of the very few people that was that was a witness to. I blacked out, man. Okay, we was we, we, we weren't we was out there playing like some you know what's and 
Oh. And if anything, if anybody know me and Pose, behind the <laughs> <laughs> behind the bench, boy, we used to be going off. <laughs> if, I, if they if they wasn't getting cussed out by me, they was getting cussed out by Pose. <laughs> <laughs> One way or another. But but the mentality was just we really had to stay with it, man. And that was that was something that that kind of stuck with our team of just taking that one game approach. I mean, obviously, man, the historical game that Brian and, and Kyrie put on in game five, that was a masterpiece. And then game right. the, the freaking energy in Cleveland in game six, boy, I don't think I've ever been in an arena that loud. Right. It was right. that's that should give me chills right now how crazy game six was in Cleveland. It was it was unmatched energy. And then it was just like game seven. I mean, shit. Poe's been in many game seven himself as a player. It was just whatever. Any any anything goes now. We here. So let's let's just go lay it out there for 48 minutes. And um man, they just they just took that one game approach uh from game five on. And you know, that was that was history, man. Got you, got you. Now fast forward about three years later, <clears throat> you're back going to the Bay Area, but with a different team. Uh, you're with the Raptors, and you won three road games in the finals, which I don't believe that happens that often. But you were also led by Kawhi Leonard. How was it working with him on a day-to-day basis? Because we don't get to know a lot about Kawhi Leonard like that. Like, he doesn't talk a whole lot to the media, to the fans like that. Everything is kind of behind closed doors. How was it working with him for a whole season, getting to know him, getting to work on his game? And uh, how was he receptive to your to your knowledge? Man, Jay, he's – that's one of the coolest cats I've ever been around, like straight up. And in the sense cool. of uh, he's too he, cool. He, 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 <laughs> but the crazy thing about it, when you get around Kawhi and you get to know him, like behind closed doors, man, that dude is a comedian. Like people <laughs> people people don't get to see that side of him. You know, he's just like a normal dude. The only the only thing about Kawhi is he's just not enamored with all the fluff. He don't mm-hmm. he don't he don't he don't have an entourage. He he not on social media. He don't he not flashy. He just hey man, he got his he got his boy, Jeremy, who's assistant coach with the Clippers. He got his uncle and his family. And he keep his circle tight. And he's just one of them dudes where I just wanna hoop. I just wanna get better and hoop. And man, I remember when I signed in Cleveland. I mean I signed in Toronto. Um I was still in Cleveland. And I was I hadn't left to Toronto yet. I signed maybe three days prior. I woke up one morning and turned on the TV. And, and I'm seriously, as soon as I turned the TV on, ESPN was like breaking news. Kawhi Leonard gets traded to the Toronto Raptors. Bro, when I tell you I fell out of the bed, I fell out of the bed. <laughs> I was like, I was like, come on, man. Because my mindset was going to Toronto, I was a big fan of DeMar. And I was excited to to be able to try to build a relationship with him and, and work with him and, and help him with his game. I was already locked into, all right, this is what I see with DeMar. And then here comes Kawhi. And mm-hmm. I remember I let the dust settle. And then I reached out to Nick and said, hey, you know, can you send me Kawhi's number? Because I didn't know Kawhi. I had never had any, any interactions with him except say what's up whenever we play. But I text Kawhi and said, man, you know, I've always been a – a fan of your of your game and how you play, and uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, to build a relationship and working with you on the floor. 
Then that dude texted me back and was like, when you pulling up to San Diego? <laughs> and that was, that, right. that was it. I went to San Diego and uh, we spent like a month and a half before we went to training camp working every day. And his thing that impressed me the most was when I first met Kawhi, he just said, look, coach, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm very straightforward. I'm very honest. I'm all about the work. If I'm not doing something, you tell me, because I'm going to tell you if you're not doing something. And he mm. said, I, I like the gym to be quiet. I don't like people. I don't like noise. I just want to get my work in. Man, when he said that to me, I was just like, no, let's go. That's right. That's, that's right up my alley. And, and just a student of the game, man, like a real student of the game and, and wants to be great. That's all you would always talk about. When I first got there, he was like, yo, we need to link up with Cole. I want to link up with Cole, man. When, when can we link up with him? He just he, he just wanted to soak up the knowledge, but one of the best dudes I've ever been around, straight up. So speaking speaking of that team, too, you also had a connection with uh, Coach Nurse. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> Man, I played for Nick Nurse. That was one of the that was one of the coaches I played for in Europe. Um, right. I was in a situation where I played in Manchester, England, and that was probably probably one of the best situations I was in in Europe. And people wouldn't think that England is is a is a hotbed for for European basketball. But the team that I was on, you know, we were in the Euro, we were in the, what they call the Karate Cup. We had a high level team, and we had we had a bunch of Americans on our team. And I think that season we went like 47 and 5 for the season. We were just we were killing teams. Nick is the same coach that he was back then when I played for that man 20 years ago. And um, it was kind of ironic just to have the opportunity. We won a championship together in Europe, and then to be able to come and coach with him and and uh, 20 years later and win a championship with him in Toronto, that was unbelievable, man. Um, and you know, that was that was the easy, easy process for me from going from playing for him and, and coaching coaching with him, you know, because I knew what kind of knew what kind of coach he was as a former player, and then that was that was pretty easy for me to be able to you know build a relationship with him on on the on the backside. Get back to Cleveland, you know. what I'm saying you talk about our time there, and I spoke <clears> of <throat> you know Kyrie. Of course, you know LeBron James, the man. Best player in the league, mm. and continues to get better and better each year. And what what is? I mean, I don't even know how to put this, but like, it's something about <laughs> you that can help. You know, what I'm saying like they trust you enough to help them elevate their game. And how did you win over Brian in in that aspect? Because hey, he already the best player, so. He don't really got to listen to nobody, you know, he <laughs> players or whatever. But he, he gets it done. But if you look at his skill set, it has continued to get better, you know what I'm saying, like since then. So how did that happen? And, and what can you say about his work ethic and how you try to help his game elevate as well? Man, Pose, I think you're one of you're one of two coaches in the NBA that played against Bron and coached him. You and T. Lou, right? And I think or ain't now Jay Kidd too. But I think, Pose, you saw him every day, and you've been around some great players. His work ethic, man, is second to none. I mean, P, like, we would get there, Bron's in the weight room early. Bron's on the court before practice. He might stay on the court a little bit after practice. He might be in the weight room or, or, or getting massage or getting his treatment. His, his work ethic on and off the floor, P, is, 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 
There, I don't think there's anybody that does it. You know, the Kobe's. Hey. No, nah, but it is, I mean, my, I mean to cut you off, but, it, but it's crazy that you say it because, like, people think, like, this man, you talk about the best player, like, he goes to bed early as hell. Sleep. He, he goes to bed rest. early as hell because his day starts early as hell. Like, he's already done worked out a couple times before he actually got to the arena. You know what right. I'm saying? So, right. <laughs> right. You know, he, he posted something the other day about, I guess, an interview where he was saying, you don't get tired. He's like, I don't get tired because I get my rest and I take care of my body. But, P, I think the, the thing that impressed me about Brown the most is, again, I didn't know Brown before he came back to Cleveland, just coached against him a few years. What impressed me is his coachability. He is coachable. Like, he is probably one of the most coachable guys that we've been around. And people try to – people that don't know him, the media, or yeah, he's a coach killer. I mean, he's and coach, you can attest to he is quite the opposite. He's, he's a smart basketball player. His IQ yeah. is high. And he challenges us, right? He challenges Man. us as, what? as coaches. He Hell challenges yeah. us as coaches to know our shit, right? <laughs> right? And that's what that's what the great players do. They're going. They're they're smart. They know the game. They know offense. They know defense. So we as a coach, we better have our shit together. Yeah, and yeah. I, I for one, I appreciate that challenge because I just think that you know, Brian and myself, man, we were just able to build a, a relationship through the work. Pose no, no nothing else. I didn't know Brian. And I think once he saw how I worked and how all of us worked, I think the respect of just the work ethic is what leads the charge. And then just the, the understanding now, so okay, this coach know what he's talking about. Are these things helping me with my game? And to, again, to his credit, being the best player in the game, he remains coachable. He's he's willing to continue to put himself in uncomfortable situations where he can continue to get better as a player. And that's what you see year in and year out, man. He's not. He's not satisfied, and he's always trying to trying to push the envelope and add add different things to the game. Even at this point in his career. So, what what was the first thing you you helped him with? Well, I remember the first day, pose when he signed, and we got back to Cleveland. I just I sat down with him and I said, hey, "Brian, man, look, you are who you are. You know what can I what as a coach can I help you get better with? What what areas do you want to improve?" So I wanted to hear from him. You know, I have my own ideas, but it's always good for players like that to, to hear, hey, what, what's his mindset? Where does where's he see? What does he want to improve on? And then we right. can start with that. And the main thing he said to me was my ball handling and footwork. You know, those two right. things were the two things that, you know, I, I wonder, I like to work on everything. He said, but I want to get better with handling the basketball and I want to get better with my footwork. And, uh, and he said to me, he said, Coach, look, I'm very efficient. I don't like to waste time to work. I, I, don't, I, I don't like to be on the court for a long time. Let's get our work in. Let's work hard. And I get off the court. And again, that information for me was, was everything that I needed to hear to, to where I could figure out a way to, to help him continue to improve as a player. And man, that was, what was that? Six years ago. It's been, it's been a minute now just to be able to, you know, continue to build a relationship with him on the floor. Now you also have the pleasure of being with Kobe Bean Bryant outside of the season. Uh, can you share your first experience? I heard a story that there was a time difference of y'all first session or something happened like you thought it was supposed to be PM, he was AM. What exactly happened with that? <laughs> yeah, man, again, Pose no, I, I, Jay, it was, when I first got hired by the Lakers in 2011, um, <laughs> I, I, again, same story, I didn't know Kobe at all. And, uh, you know, Mike Brown, 
again, hired me. And he said to me, he said, look, I don't care what you do, but you got to figure out a way to build a relationship with Kobe and, and make sure he's make sure you help him with his work. And I was like, all right, coach, no problem. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, I, I got, I got hired the lock again, 2011 was another year of a lockout and the lockout ended and we went straight into practicing. So my first day on the job, you know, I, Again, I didn't even bother Cole. I just said, man, I got to work and figure out how to build a relationship with these players. And I just told players, hey, this is, you know, I need you guys to be on the court at a certain time. I didn't say anything to Kobe. Um, he literally, the first three days, he came out of the training room and would sit on a chair and watch me work with guys for about three minutes. He would sit there, he would watch, and then he would go back in the training room. He didn't say nothing to me. He just sat and watched. And maybe about... Maybe about two weeks later, you know, he texted me and was like, hey, man, I need you to meet me at the gym at 5.30. And this was like, it was like 2 o'clock, at, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And so I was like, bet, let's go. Let's get it. I'll wait for that text. So, right, right. <laughs> man, I pull up to the gym at like 4.30 that day, thinking he was like that evening. I pull up to the gym at 4.30. I'm there. I'm ready. Whatever. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about what we're going to do in workout, blah, blah, blah. So 5.15 roll around, 5.30 roll around, 6 o'clock roll around. He not there. And I'm like, damn, this is how, how you get down? All right. right. <laughs> I, I go home. I go home, and next day I come back for practice. You know, practice is at like 10 o'clock. I show up usually around 7.30, kind of get ready. Man, I get to the practice facility. This man come barging out of the training room. Hey, mofo, you know, you – it was yours. You just ain't gonna show up, Nick. You know, he going in on me. Right. And, and so I'm like, hey, I'm like, I'm like, bro, man, I was here, bro. You told me five thirty. I was here last night. I was here. I said, man, man, listen, I'm at five thirty this morning. Oh hell hey, no, bro. Listen, <laughs> I looked at that man in the face like, damn, you really messed that one up, bro. And he was like, man, be on to be here tomorrow, on time. And I was right. like. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Yo, I didn't even I didn't even put it together knowing who Cope was. Dude that works out super early. I I was so geeked. I just thought he meant like 5:30 in the in the evening cuz it was so early that afternoon. Right. right. And that man was that man man 5:30 in the morning Jack, like don't play with my time. And and then but after that man we were you know, he was he was again. He was gracious enough to, to, to listen or or even, you know, value what I thought. And I, I did the same thing with him. I said, "Man, how can I help you get better?" <laughs> so, you know, like, what, where, where do you want? And he said the same. I mean, I want to, I want to continue to, to, to get better with my ball handling. And I'm always, I'm always looking for different things with my footwork. And you know, he was, a, he's a footwork master. So yes, sir. But yes, the, sir. But the thing, the thing about those dudes, man, posing, you know. Jay, the thing about those guys is they teach us so much. Like as coaches, we learn. Like I learned so much stuff from Kobe. I learned so much from Bron. I learned from Kyrie. I mean, all of, any player we ever had, I learned. They teach us so much about ways that we can become better teachers and coaches. You know, if we're really paying attention. Now, what's the difference between developing and being with the superstar guys and the guys who are not superstars? They may be role players. They may be younger players. They may be guys on that trajectory. What's the main difference that you noticed? I mean, for me personally, I don't treat them any different. I treat them all the same, man. They all got to get their work in. 
And um, I don't I don't have something where I'm going to treat LeBron any different than I might treat, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker. Um, they, I mean, they got to get their work in. And so it's, it's all about helping guys get better. You know, the, now the workload might be different, Jay, in the sense that, you know, LeBron, again, very efficient. You know, his workload during the season might be a 20-minute 20 20-minute 20 clip, and he knows 20, in 20 minutes I'm going to get get my work in and be really efficient, whereas Taylor's workload might be 35 to 40 minutes, you know, because he's not playing much. So those are the only real differences. Um, and then, you know, obviously certain players have to work on certain things. But in terms of how I've always approached working with players, my 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 my, my approach is the same. It's, it's business. It's work. It's let's get the work in. I'm not going to baby you. I'm not going to treat you any different. This is all about you, all about you better as a player. So you had a conversation. I mean, you hear it. You 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 hear about you know the Kobe Bryant's, uh, the comparisons, LeBron James, and now Kawhi and stuff like that. What what sort of separates each of those players just from from each other at the end of the day? But you know, Sam Bryan, you know his his list goes on accolades and things like that, and then his ability to reach the finals. And then, of course, you talk about Kobe Bryant. Mama mentality, you know what I'm saying? And that's just rubbed and touched everybody the right way. You know what I'm saying? And then you have Kawhi, you know what I'm saying? The stone cold killer, but he's a the quiet assassin. You know what I'm saying? So how, what 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 goes with that? You know, Pose, look, there's a lot of there's a lot of differences, but I've always told people that I think focusing on differences is, is probably the wrong thing. I've always I've honed in on what's the similarities and as to what's the common denominator as to why these guys have all been so successful. People, you know, people always want to go, what? Well, what's, nah, man. I'm looking at common denominator. They all have it. And so that common denominator has been, one, their work ethic is insane. That's the first thing. Their work ethic is insane. Two, the basketball IQs are off the charts and how they read the game and study the game from a from an individual to a team, uh, offense to defense. Man, they they I mean the coaches, you know, man, we we being walkthroughs and Brian already telling us what the plays are before we yes. <laughs> before, Yo, before we listen. we yeah, you know, you go, you, go, you, you you trying to put the players on the court. He then yo, you go over here, you go over here, you yeah, he post, we got it. Yo, I'm like that that part is uh is at a high level. And then the last piece is just how they take care of their bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. how they take care of their bodies. All three of those dudes, uh, and, and so many others, man, but you know, just those are the guys I've had a chance to work with. All of those things at the are at the highest level that you can that you can think of. Mm-hmm. It, it's funny, man, because in Cleveland with Brian, you know, I'm doing my little scout report. You know, I'm prepared and everything. You know, I got <laughs> everything ready. Yo, it was almost disrespectful. Almost to, like, like, and, and, and it's, it's, I mean, it's because it's Brian IQ. It's this man, he's sitting like this under the basket. He's just biting on this little nail or whatever. And like you said, he over there, you're going to do this. You're going to come around this and set the screen, fair screen, be ready for this. Look, he's, he's telling you what the office going to do. And then he's telling us what we going to do defensively. Like, okay, make sure the bottom guy right there, make sure you're there. And all this, he, he just like this. Right there, they talking. I'm like, damn, damn, Brian. Oh, okay, okay. But I think that also 
you know, if guys, you know, that never played with them, like that right there, let alone should have showed like how special he is. And I'm talking about like this is every shooter on every team, he knows their plays and he can just walk you through them and everything. So I think just from the teammates, they was like, shit, this, he's smart. You know, probably had yeah. to, they probably had to do a better job of preparing for game because he could quiz them and test them like he was testing us. <laughs> like you said, you had to be on your P's and Q's because you didn't want to look crazy, you know what I'm saying, when Brown asked nah. you a question without having an answer. So, Man, right. 100%. That's, that's, uh, that's what I really learned about, about a lot of these these great players, man, they they study the game as much as we do as coaches. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where, one, you got to be comfortable. You know, you said, Paul, you did your homework. You were ready. So it was just like – and not be intimidated by that, right? Yeah. Not yeah. be intimidated by it, but just understand what kind of basketball IQs that you're working with, man. And, again, that, to me, is the ultimate challenge because it pushes us as coaches – to make sure that we're on top of our game. I know, you know, y'all have, you know, busy, a busy season. You know what I'm saying? Last year was a challenge with, with the bubble. How was that? How was y'all able to maintain focus and manage to win a championship through the, through the bubble? And, Pose, I think a lot of that goes back to, you know, one, Frank Vogel did a great job. Um, Frank was great in his preparation. Uh, starts with him. Second part was I think the Laker organization did a great job of just making sure that we had, as a team, things that we need, um, food. And, and the NBA did a great job with preparing the bubble. Like, a lot of people talk, talk about the bubble. Man, we had everything we needed in there. You know, you had food 24 hours. You had restaurants. You know, you could go fishing. You could do a little bit of bowling at a movie theater. You, could, you can go golf. You know, so we had all these different things that we could do. But I think that the main thing was, look, Bron and Rondo set the table, you know, and, and AD obviously too. But the mindset of what are we here for? Right. We're here. What, what, we, what are we coming into this bubble for, man? We come in this bubble to, to compete, compete for the championship. And I think, just think the whole team really locked into that. They were locked in, man. They were, they were locked in and they took, they took advantage of just what we were doing there. Instead of, you know, trying to find excuses or they locked into playing basketball and, and that was that was very evident in, in how they performed. And you just spoke about AD, you know what I'm saying? How, how, how was his transition, oh, you know what I'm saying, from New Orleans, get to the Lakers, now you're playing with Brian, you know, that was in the midst of being the ultimate goal to get to L.A. and play with Brian. How do you think Brian has affected, you know, AD with his growth? And you know what I'm saying, being the best player he could be. Oh man, tremendously. I, I see both like the impact they've had on each other, Pose has been has been tremendous. You know, I think A D pushes Braun just as much Braun just as much as Braun pushes A D. And the respect level that they have for each other, man, is at, is at a really, really high level uh, of just respecting each other's skill set, respecting what they bring to the game, and then just, you know, respecting each other's space as superstars, right? You, you can you can tell, man, that they just they genuinely like each other to get along on and off the floor, but it was seamless. Man, AD came in and and, and fit right in, and man, that, that dude's a unicorn, man. He is <laughs> he is unicorn, a unicorn. Unicorn, unicorn. Man, man, <laughs> pose. I mean, you people 
you know, no disrespect to any of these other dudes in the league, but if when AD really understands who he is as a player and what mm-hmm. his skill set, what his true skill set is, he's the best player in the league hands down. Mm. Just because of, oh. of uh, his size, his ability to to play inside, outside, he can handle the ball. He dominates on defense. It's he's a unicorn, bro. Like so, you so do you think like right now with Brown being on the team and Brown still playing at a high level, do you think he's sort of just like just waiting, or do you, or, or is it time for him to take that take that lead and show why he's one of the top players as well? Well, I don't think Brown's waiting. I'm Brown, man, Brown allows AD to be. I mean, I don't think AD is waiting, but Brown definitely wants him to be who he is. Yeah, right. hey, man, be 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 who you are, bro. Do what you got to do. We gonna, you know, we here for it. And you know, Brown is he's been real supportive with him. I just think that uh, I think AD is continuing to to check the boxes as a player and continuing to grow. Um, and you know, just just the maturation, right? Maturing. And then feeling comfortable in his own skin, um, and then you you see more of that you see more of that killer that killer coming out because he when he's in kill mode, right? Man, it's a problem. Geez. Yeah, it's a it's problem. A, it's a it's a real it's a real problem, bro. Like that's a, it's a real problem. Now, uh, before I ask my next question, I have to actually tweet a compliment towards you, Phil. Uh, this was actually the day AD, the trade went down. He was at the press conference. There was a tweet by at Drew Unga said, Phil Handy is the sec- Lakers' second best acquisition of this summer. And this was July 14, 2019. Uh, so if AD is all those great things you mentioned, you, you right there with him, man. You right there with him. Uh, Jay, man, I just, I just do my job, man. That's it. Do my job. Stay in my lane. That's it, man. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, with that being said, how difficult is your job to develop younger players while you're competing for a championship? Because you know how it is. It seems like a lot of the championship teams are older guys, the rotation's tight, and the young guys kind of get lost in the shuffle at times. How difficult is it or how challenging is it to develop a lot of the younger guys and make sure they're ready to play, even though their minutes may be five minutes, one game, 20 minutes the next? How, you know, what's the challenges with that? You know, I mean, I've I've been fortunate. The, the teams today, me and Pose were on in Cleveland. We didn't really have any too many young guys. You know, Jetty Osmond, Kay Felders. You know, we had young guys that worked. You know, Matthew Delavadova. So we, we had some young guys that really understood the game a little bit. You know, from even though they were young, you know, Jetty had been playing professional basketball overseas. Kay Felder went to college for four years. Matthew Delavadova went to college for four years, and they – you know, they played in long stretches in NCAA tournaments. So their development was really – it wasn't very difficult at all. And it's pretty much similar here with the Lakers. You know, Taylor Horton Tucker is really one of our, our only young players. You know, Kyle Kuzma is still fairly young. But, man, our development is, is pretty consistent, Jay, with, with our vets and the young guys. So it's really, you know, not too much different. Everybody works every day. You know, that is that is the culture that we have. That's a culture that we had in Cleveland. It's a culture that we have in, in L.A. Everybody works before and after practice at some point. And so it's not hard. You know, it's just all about as coaches, as we, we as coaches are a village, and we all got to put our hands in, right, and work, guys. We, we all have different ways of working. Like, I used to learn a ton of stuff from Poles, you know, some of the workouts he did with guys and, and just learning and helping each other. 
And so that's that's the village part of, of how we approach, how we work with our players on a daily basis. So, you know, development of younger players is not difficult. You know, it's just really about just being consistent, right? Consistent with them on a daily basis to make sure that they get to work, to make sure that they're they're understanding through film. You know, film is is crucial to helping the young guys study film, whether it be on them or the guys in front of them playing. You know, so there's there's a combination of things that we that we do with these guys to continue to help them, you know, get better on a daily basis. Now, not only are you, you know, you good with the pros as well, but you work with younger players that's not even reached, you know, that's still working their way up, trying to get to the to elite pro level as well. Tell us a little bit about that. I know you got an app out as well. Tell us about that and and how do you help those young kids sort of set the foundation to reach the, you know, for them to reach the elite level as well. Because you work with everybody, not just the pros and, like I said, but you work with kids that probably just picked up a basketball last week. You develop them, you work <laughs> with them as well. Nah, seriously, I see you, man. We had these conversations as well. But you you do that on top of your job as assistant coach and develop these these players that get paid. Tell us, tell me your joy in that man. and how do you, how you manage that. That's just pure love, Post. I love the game, man. Like, people, I started I started this, you know, 94 Feet of Game is the name of the company. And the app is, you know, called the 94 Feet of Game app. But I started working with kids back in 2003, back in 1999. I was working with kids. I wasn't working with pro athletes. You know, I had a couple pro athletes, but, I mean, I was working with high school kids, middle school kids, boys and girls. And just my love for the game was, I wanted to help these young athletes build themselves into into better young people. It wasn't even, basketball is a small part of it, right? But just help them gain some confidence, help them gain some work ethic, help them gain some character in terms of just how to be a how to be a better teenager. You know, what's your work ethic? What's your accountability? That's where it all started for me uh, with the youth. And when I got hired on as an NBA coach. You know, my first few years, I had to take a step away from that. And I forgot. I really did because I was so embedded in, okay, I got to do my job. I got to do my job. You know, make sure my job, get my, you know, take care of my responsibilities. And, man, at some point, I got to Cleveland, later, my later years in Cleveland, probably about year four, I found my way back to working with kids again when, in my free time, you know, in the off season when I could, whenever I had a chance. And man, I forgot how much I loved it. I forgot how much that the kids played a part in inspiring me uh, on a daily basis and seeing them grow and seeing them get better, helping kids get scholarships. You know, and so once I did that, I was like, never again. I'm never again going away from working with kids. I don't care what my job is. I don't care if I become a head coach. I'm always going to put some time into the kids to help them get better. And anybody for that matter. Anybody in the basketball community, that's why I started the app post, was to be able to share my knowledge. You know, we use the phrase anywhere, anytime. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to share this knowledge that I've been able to accrue for many years of coaches I played for, the great players I've been able to coach with, and why not share that knowledge? Why not impart that knowledge on the basketball community to where other coaches can learn, other players can learn, and leave something positive Leave something positive in the basketball community, man. And so that's that's my pure love for the game, P. You know, just just being able to give back and share as much as because at the end of the day, suppose if I if I pass away tomorrow, knock on wood, 
I can't just I can't take this knowledge with me, right? Right. I, it it doesn't do anything. So it's just the same as money for me. It's the same as hey, I pass away. I, material things I can't keep. This knowledge that I have, God has blessed me with it. So why not share it and and help other people? You know, do something good with it as well. Now, what are your thoughts on how skill training has become a social media? Because it seems like every year we see somebody new doing it and the qualifications aren't there and the drills that they're putting them through don't re- relate to the NBA game or basketball in general. What are your thoughts on the newfound rise of the <laughs> coaches and the whole industry in general? I got, I'm, I'm very, I have my thoughts. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Well, this is where the real – the Oakland – Oakland side of the field comes out with that bullshit. Like it's a lot of <laughs> it's a lot of bullshit out there. And look to this point, man. I have love for for all these trainers out there that are working and grinding. Right, they're trying to do something positive. Man, me and Pose used to we used to watch videos. Pose would send me videos of trainers. They feel like you're gonna do this shit tomorrow. Well, I always got. Come on, bro. So if you pull up, exactly what I'm talking about. He, he, used to, he used to send me these videos like, bro. The, the training industry is so blown out of proportion because not everybody can be a trainer. And this is also part of the motivation of why I've started the app is to help people understand what t- real training looks like. I don't believe in gimmicks. I don't believe in any anything that does not apply to the game of basketball, either by use or function. So I'm always trying to encourage trainers. Listen, man, the best players in the world, they train at a high level, but there's a lot of simplicity to what they do. Right. right? Yes, you can work on your ball handling. Yes, you can get better with your footwork. But at the end of the day, if they're not functional and applicable to the game of basketball, then you shouldn't be doing it. Simple. So for all the trainers out there that are, you know, the social media piece, look, man, I think a lot of that is for glitz and glam, right? And I do some of the social media stuff, again, just to, again, share content and help people kind of see the kind of work that we do on a daily basis to help navigate away from some of the bullshit that's out there. Uh, you know, I, I really try to use it from, from in a positive sense. But no, man, the training industry is, you know, people see it. And they think it's a glamorous industry. It's not. Most people don't know how much time we put in as coaches right. on the computer, right. watching film. You know, players right. show up, they come to practice, they get in the weight room, and then they go home. Coaches, we're there long before, and most times we're there long after. After, right, yeah. And so, you know, people, people think that the training and the coaching world is just a glamorous or you can make a lot of money. But they don't, they don't really see the work that goes into it. And – yeah, we work, but it's work that we love, right? We love doing this shit, so it's it's not like we got a real job, but we'll put as many hours in on it as we need to because it's it's, it's what we love to do, and and so you're not gonna shortchange it. You know, the training industry is is, I mean, you know, social social media man gives everybody the platform to talk, and you know, you know how I feel about that. P. Some people shouldn't be talking. That's real. Come on, man. When you don't have Brian, them man, throwing cones and dodging and doing, dribbling with their toes, and stuff. when you gonna have Brian doing that? Make sure, hey, make sure you get some footage. I want to see Brian doing this. Hey, you said dribbling. You said dribbling with his toes. Dribbling with his toes. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, man. 
Like, I, I see the stuff, man. Like, I, I mean, I, I'm laughing too. And my thing is, I'm like, yo, the the parents can't be in the gym watching this mm-hmm. and think most of this stuff is like really helping their kid get better and that they paying for it. That that's the that's what I I'm like. Come on, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you don't got to be a, a basketball guru, a genius, or nothing like that to know some of this stuff not really adding up. You know what I mean? And it don't even make sense. <laughs> And so the parents, hey, so, come on, man. So, so you're not gonna send your son? You're not gonna send your son to one of them trainers, dog? I'm sending my son to you. It's a couple <laughs> of <people. All> right. <laughs> That's the only two people I trust right now. So outside of oh. that, dog, everybody ain't putting their hands on him. You see Jace, man, come on, man. <laughs> hey, I ain't about to play that. I'm, man, we about to leave. Y'all been gonna smack the dude in the back of his head or something, but Man, you crazy. Nah, nah. So I see, you know, I, I, I'm willing to give people a try. You know what I'm saying? I understand. You know, make sure Jay's comfortable as well. But as soon as I see that, nah, we out of here. We out of nah, here. You're cool, Pete. You're cool, dog. <laughs> nah. But I know you had a long day, man. I appreciate your time. But I man, can't let long. you get out of here. I always end a segment with this, I call it a free game. All right? I just want you to share a free game. It doesn't have to be. Sports related, just free game that you could give the people out here that's gonna see this and that that could possibly just help them in life. Man, you know, opposed. I started this brand a few years ago called Be Your Own Goat, and I think Be Your um, Own Goat. Be Your Own Goat, man. I don't think people really understand what that means, and it's not from a, a place of uh, arrogance. It's it's really from a place of trying to help people understand that. All of us, I don't care what profession we're in, what walk of life we're in, we all have a certain level of greatness that we can we can try to strive for every day, right? If you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're a painter, if you're a photographer, I don't care what it is. Why not have a mindset of trying to be the greatest version of that that you can be every day? Be your own goat. Like everybody looks at, you know, the Michael Jordans or the Kobe's or Michael Jackson's and they 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 look at all these people and say they inspire me. Okay, well let those people inspire you to be great in whatever you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Don't be don't settle for mediocrity. Man, every day all of us have the ability to wake up and say, "Man, I'm going to be great today. I'm going to push myself to be great today." And and really for me, man, I live by that. I try to live by it. You know, I think the people took more of that mindset of of striving for their own inner greatness. They would have more happiness, right, in what they're doing uh, on the earth. So that's my free game, man. Everybody should be striving to be their own goat. Y'all have a free game for my man Phil Handy, man. Like I said, I appreciate your time. It's always much love, much respect. I know you're busy. We're going to chop it up like we normally do. We're going to get together as well. But, man, good luck with the rest of the season. I know y'all did the defending champs, so – you know, <laughs> this That's long great. season of hell. Stay healthy, most importantly. And, uh, man, I appreciate you. Man, man, love. Man, I appreciate you guys, man. This has been a, it's been a blessing to be on here with you. All love, Pete. All right. Yo, this is James Posey. Thanks for checking out Posecast, brought to you by BasketballNews.com. You can check out Posecast on all your listening platforms. Presenting sponsor of the Posecast is GreenSupply.com. With everything going on in the world, it is more important than ever to stay safe. At GreenSupply.com, you can purchase masks, hand sanitizer, and other important health and wellness products, all in stock with same-day shipping. 
Best of all, listeners can get 10% off their order when using the promo code POSEY at checkout. That's P-O-S-E-Y. For 10% off your order of KN95 or cloth mask, hand sanitizer, or other supplies like forehead thermometers and UV boxes. Visit greensupply.com. That's greensupply.com today.